Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth for Living with Pastor Tim Reynolds. We sure are appreciative of you tuning in today, whether you're listening on the radio this morning or maybe by the podcast. The Bible Truth Podcast is available at your favorite podcast source, and we encourage you to download all of our programs. We have a lot of different teachings and preachings on there, and uh, you can search for that, Bible Truth Podcast with Tim Reynolds. You'll find it and be able to listen to that at any time, but we appreciate however you are listening. Before I get into the message, a couple of things. I'd like to tell you about. First of all, tonight at six o'clock, we begin our uh, well return back to our Sunday evening services at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. We're having a new series titled The Patriarchs, and uh, we're going to be studying the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph from Genesis 16 through the end of the book. I don't know how long that will take, probably a little while. But you know, it's interesting because it's not just a study in history, but it's a study in human nature. Uh, Some of these great Bible characters, we will see their warts and all, as they say, because they were fallible men just like you and I, and yet God used them in a mighty way. And so we'll we'll be looking at that on Sunday nights. And then this coming Wednesday night, we return to our evening midweek services, and that series is titled The End Times According to Jesus. We're going to be breaking down what is called the Olivet Discourse that we see in Matthew 24 uh, and in Luke 22, and some things that tie in with current events. What did Jesus say that we could look for uh, as his second coming approaches? And so if you like Bible prophecy, I really encourage you to come out on Wednesday night, six o'clock. We'll have study notes available. Bring your Bible. We'll have a time of question and answer session every week as well. And so I hope you can make one of those. And uh, then we invite you to our morning services at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. Uh, We begin Sunday school at 9 o'clock, morning worship at 10 o'clock. We're at 817 Woodland Drive, just off of Route 37 South in Mount Vernon. And then at Waltonville Community Church, we meet at 1115 every Sunday morning at 321 South Hiram Street, across from the Grain Elevators and Waltonville Cafe. The message today is one that we actually began in church last Sunday. This is Stewardship Month at our churches, and uh, we're bringing a series of messages titled Money Talks. And so this is the first message from that series, and the the title of this message is Chase Me or Earn Me. I'm reading from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. You may be familiar with that phrase, money talks. One guy said, money talks, and mine is always saying goodbye. That sounds familiar. Another guy said, money talks, but it never sticks around long enough to listen. Well, when we say money talks, what we mean by that is that when someone has possession of a lot of money, along with that comes power and influence. It's the fact that money talks that persuades many people to accumulate as much of it as they can. The question is, how much money is enough, or is it ever enough? 
Uh, two little kids will be playing out on the playground, and one will say, chase me, chase me, and the game begins. The chase is on. Well, money is the same way. When a young person understands uh, you know, what a dollar can do, uh, from their youth on, the chase begins with chasing down money. And the warning here is that they that will be rich will find some troubles that come with that. The problem is that every time money calls out, chase me, and we think we're just about to catch it, it changes direction. Uh, I grew up watching the old Looney Tunes cartoons and, and remember the uh, coyote and the roadrunner. And every time the, the wily coyote would get close to the roadrunner, something would happen and he would elude him. And, and it would end in disaster only for the coyote in the next scene to try the chase again. And so it is with money throughout our lives. The, you, you think you just about have enough money and then your car breaks down. You chase money and you get it and then your taxes need paid. Or you save up money for retirement and then you retire and you get sick or you have an accident and then the medical bills begin to pile up and the chase just continues and goes on and on and on. Now, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about money. And of course, it was written by the wealthiest man who ever lived and that would be King Solomon. And Solomon in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 5 says this about money. He says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I always think of the uh, the commercial for Red Bull. Maybe you know what Red Bull energy drink is. And that their motto is, Red Bull gives you wings. Well, here Solomon says money is the same way. About the time you get ready to catch it, riches make themselves wings and they fly away. And that is really true when it comes to money. Now, the question that I want us to answer in this series is, how do we as Christians living in a consumer-driven culture, uh, you know, where money is worshipped, how do we have a balanced perspective when it comes to our finances? Is it okay to enjoy the fruits of our labor? And can we keep a proper relationship with God and with others and with the world in doing so? Uh, One way to think about it is this, and this is what we're looking at today, as we say money talks, the world's money talks and says, chase me, while God's money talks and says, earn me. And we're going to look at the difference in chasing money and earning money today. So the first thing I want us to realize is that chase me says luck and earn me says labor. Let's talk about luck, the game of risk. Again, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, but they that will be rich, they make that their main objective in life, will fall into temptation and a snare. A snare is a trap. My grandfather used to trap uh, whenever he went hunting years ago, and that was sort of a big thing. And what you do is you make it look appealing, so whatever it is you want to trap will go for it, and then they're caught in something uh, that is a danger. And that's the game of risk, and that's what luck uh, chase me says luck. That's what it promises. Now talking about that, let me share some statistics with you. Did you know that revenue from the gambling industry reached 53 billion? That's a B billion in the United States in 2021. It's become an epidemic. Uh, Since gambling became legal under U.S. federal law, nearly every state allows it in some form, whether that is through lotteries, casinos, online betting, sports betting, slots, 
uh, gaming locations, all of these things. I can remember when I was a teenager, whenever the lottery was first introduced in the state of Illinois, and we were told that revenue would improve our schools. Well, it may have produced more buildings, but to say that it improved our educational system, uh, I think that probably was not the case. But you'll notice now how many of these gaming and slot places are popping up everywhere. I mean, they're in gas stations, truck stops, restaurants. If one business closed down, a gaming place will come in and take its place. Now, I'm going to tell you my opinion on it, and you may disagree with me, and that's fine. But the way that I see it is that it is a poor man's tax. It's based on greed. It's the idea that you can get rich quick. You, you, I at least have never met anyone who has become wealthy by uh, working a slot machine or going gambling. Now, I know people who are wealthy that own those things. Remember, the house always wins eventually, all right? You're not going to get rich quick, but people will, will gamble a paycheck away on a ball game or something like that, and uh, it's foolish. And it's, it's something the Bible says that it is not wise to do. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 22 speaks about a person who tries to get rich quick, and here's what it says. Proverbs twenty eight twenty two. He that hasteth to be rich, get rich quick, has an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. That's what I mean. It's a poor man's tax. So the poor person will take his or her money and gamble it away in hopes of getting rich quick. By the way, that same principle applies to the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard of that before. The prosperity gospel is this idea that if you will just sow a seed into so-and-so's ministry and give them money, you can become wealthy. You know, you'll end up with a new house or a new car, and and some of these charlatans on television don't believe that. That's not the true gospel. That's a prosperity gospel that uh, is not the true gospel from the Word of God. And so, chase me says luck, but it's all just a game of risk. What about the gain of reward and labor? Well, again, Proverbs has another verse regarding that. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. If you get wealth by you know, hitting the lottery or something like that, that it will go away. But he that gathereth by labor, there it is, shall increase. I remember back in the 1980s, there was a financial investor TV commercial and it it went something like this. Smith Barney, they make money the old fashioned way. They earn it. Do you remember that? There was a, I, I don't know, remember the guy's name. He was a, seemed like he was a British fellow, but he said they earn it. And I can remember that. That's the old fashioned way. We've gotten away from that old fashioned way of earning money. We want to get rich quick in American culture today. But earning a reward through labor and through hard work is a Bible principle. It's a good thing. Let me share some scriptures with you. And there are a number of them. I'll just share a few of them. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 13, six days thou shalt labor and do thy work. Nehemiah 4.21, so we labored in the work. Psalm 128 verse 2, for thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Proverbs 10 verse 16, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life. 
Ecclesiastes 3.13, every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands that which is good. That's just a sampling of the Bible principle of laboring for reward. When the world's money talks, it says, chase me, it's worth the risk. But when God's money talks, it says, earn me it's worth the reward. Number two, when money talks, chase me says lust and earn me says leisure. There's a difference in lust and leisure. Now back to our text of 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust. Let's talk first of all about the danger of greed. The word greed is the word we use to describe the lust for money. It's, a, it's an insatiable desire to get more. Now, remember this about money. Money is neither good nor bad. In fact, the word for that is amoral. Money is amoral. It can be used for either one. Uh, listen to verse 10, and this is often misquoted. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. It is, it is amoral. Money is itself is good or bad. Give me give you an example. You can use money to support a missionary, all right? You can also use money to support an addiction. Well, the money isn't the problem. The problem is what you do with that money. And so when we talk about lust here in this context, we're talking about greed. Now, what does the Bible say about greed? Number one, it says that greed is foolish. Again, verse nine, those who, who want to be rich that bad, they have a lust for that. They, they fall into many foolish lust. Greed is foolish along with foolish options. And that's what money does. Money just provides more options. That money that you are so in, in, in love with and, and driving toward affords a never ending pursuit because enough is never enough. Pro, uh, or Ecclesiastes, rather, Solomon says that same thing in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. In other words, the person that drives after silver and money, they never get to the point where they say, okay, that's enough. They always want to pursue more. Billionaire John D. Rockefeller years ago was asked by a reporter, how much money, Mr. Rockefeller, is enough? And Rockefeller, as a billionaire, said, just a little bit more. You see, he was driven by an insatiable lust for money, and greed is foolish. Not only is greed foolish, but greed is hurtful. Again, verse 9, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. A person given to greed will often damage, number one, his health. Um, if you've ever studied the life of Howard Hughes, you'll find that at the end of his life, he became a recluse. His hair grew long, fingernails grew long, and just became uh, worried about catching diseases and wore gloves, and his body just became emaciated, but he was a billionaire. It, in fact, it not only affected his health, it affected his mind. Something else greed will do, greed will affect your relationships, whether that is at work or with a spouse or with your children, with your parents, because it's an insatiable lust for money. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 27 talks about the hurt that comes from greed. Here's what it says, Proverbs 15, 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. 
He brings trouble to the house. Why? Because he or she is just driven by that desire for more money. So greed is foolish. Greed is hurtful. And then number three, greed is deadly. It's a deadly thing. Back in our text there of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some have coveted after or lusted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Notice they have erred from the faith. The money, the drive for things has become something that has drawn them away from God. What happens is they become more reliant on money than on God. And that is why greed is deadly. Jesus said as much in Mark chapter 10 after he had dealt with the young, the rich young ruler. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 24, well, I'll start in verse 23. Jesus looked round about and said to his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter to the kingdom of God? It's a difficult thing. The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for them that, here's the problem, that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. The the riches are not the problem. The money is not the problem. It's the trust in the riches. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because a rich person tends to trust in his or her money. The problem isn't the money. It's where you place the trust. Now, the good thing is, you know, the disciples go on and they ask the question, well, this sounds, you know, how how can anybody be saved? And Jesus says, well, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Can God save a wealthy person? Absolutely. There are a lot of rich people who are saved, but they have the perspective right. They haven't trusted in their money. And so God can then entrust them with the blessings. And so you have the danger of greed, but then you have the delight of gain. I I told you that uh, chase me says lust, but earn me says leisure. There is leisure. There is something that is productive and rest will come whenever you have worked and labored for a reward rather than being greedy. God is not against us having ambition or being successful. That's fine. We ought to be. God doesn't mind blessing us with money and material things. There's a delight that comes with gain, but please remember that gain is not always monetarily. It's not always material things. There's a lot of other things that are considered gain. Number one, contentment is gain. Back in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That means that we should be content with what we have while we are ambitiously maybe pursuing something else. Let's say you have a car that's an old car and you're having to get it fixed all the time. There's no problem with saving up money and getting another car, all right? But be content with what you have until you get that car. Just don't be miserable. Say, God, thank you for this old rattle trap that I have. And Lord, I'm, I'm praying that you'll provide me with a better vehicle. That's being what you might call ambitiously content. All right. So contentment is gain. And then getting rest is gain. Proverbs or I keep wanting to say Proverbs because Solomon penned both of these books, but Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 12 says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. You see, someone who is wealthy and they're driven toward money so much, their money sometimes can keep them awake at night, worried about the stock market, worried about who might steal it or take advantage of them. Where a laboring man, whether he has a lot of money or a little bit, he gets good rest because he can just relax. And that is gain in itself. And then peace 
Having peace in your home is gain. In Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 1, the Bible says, better is a dry morsel, you might say a piece of bread and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. You see, we'd be better off with fewer televisions and fewer gadgets and fewer things and peace in our homes and, you know, and a little bit to eat than to have all of the televisions and computers and cell phones and all the gadgets we have and there be discontentment and unhappiness and strife. We see that in the world today. America is the most prosperous nation there's ever been in in world history. And yet we see depression and family breakups and all of these things. Why? Because we've looked to be satisfied by the things of this world and you won't have peace uh, that way. And then let me share the last point with you. And that is this, that when money talks, chase me says latch on and earn me says let go. Back to our text in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, food and clothes, let us be there with content. We brought nothing into this world. We had nothing in our hands. And when we pass away, it's going to be the same thing. A person who chases the world's money tries to latch onto it and hold on to it as long as they can, but you're not taking it with you. You have never seen a funeral hearse pulling a U-Haul. It just doesn't work. It won't happen. I heard a story about a wealthy miser who on his deathbed made his wife promise to empty all of the bank accounts and put the money in the casket with him. And so when the day came for his funeral, she did just that. And as the casket was getting ready to close, the minister happened to see the wife throw a, a piece of paper into the casket. And it got the best of him, so he asked the, the, the widow lady, he said, what, what was that about? And she explained how her husband said, promise me you'll put the money in the casket with me. And the minister said, well, what was that? And she said, well, I did what my husband asked me to do. I wrote a check. Now, think about the silliness of that. So he took the check with him to his grave, but he couldn't take the money with him. Well, how's he going to cash that check? So what a foolish pursuit it is to latch on to the things of this world as if we're going to take them with us. We're not going to. But letting go is different. Earn me says let it go. Now, here's what letting go means. Letting go is all about surrendering control. I mentioned a moment ago about stewardship. What is stewardship? Well, stewardship is simply taking care of what belongs to someone else. You see, the right perspective we should have is that we own nothing in this world. You know, we'll say, well, I own my home, I own my vehicle. No, it's just on loan for a period of time until we pass away. Uh, Our money, our stuff, our family is not ours. If you're a believer, Certainly, it belongs to God, and we are stewarding what belongs to God. Now, here's the thing. When we surrender what we earn to God and everything that we have, we see that we are stewards, then money loses its grip on us, and we stop chasing it. And here, here's the, the irony of that. We stop chasing it, and in turn, God begins to chase us with his blessings, Now, if you want to wear yourself out chasing after the things of this world, God says, go right ahead and do that. But God says, if you will get this thing in right perspective and you will see yourself as a steward taking care of what what belongs to me, I'll chase you down with blessings. Listen to Luke chapter six and verse 38. Here's what Jesus said. Give, so that's letting go, all right? Do your part, give, and here's the return. It shall be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. God will lay it on the heart of other people to be a blessing. And again, that's not always monetarily. We The first thing we think of is that that means money. Not always. Sometimes it's just peace with your neighbor and, and contentment in your marriage and a good relationship with your children and, and these sort of things. For with the same measure you meet with all or give out, it shall be measured to you again. This is not a prosperity gospel principle. It's a Bible principle. It's a principle of surrendering control and saying, God, you own all of it. And I want you to know that it all belongs to you. And when we see that and we give like that, then God says, I'll chase you down with blessings. I'll close with a a little story. A farmer had two prize winning calves. Each of these calves brought in thousands of dollars. And one day the farmer told his wife, he said, listen, God has blessed us with two prize calves. And what we're going to do is we're going to honor the Lord by giving one calf to him And whatever that calf brings, we're going to give that to the Lord. And then the other calf we will keep for ourselves. Well, a few months go by, and then one day the farmer walks into the house looking downtrodden and depressed. His wife said, honey, what's wrong? And the farmer said, well, I hate to tell you something, but the Lord's calf just died. Now, here's the moral to that story. What he had done is he had given part, but he hadn't surrendered all. That was half surrender. And as soon as one of those calves got sick and died, isn't it funny how that was the calf that belonged to the Lord? Why didn't he say it was our calf that died? What God wants is full surrender. He's not looking for half surrender. He's looking for full surrender. By the way, that same thing is true when it comes to salvation. You can't just give half of your heart to God. You must surrender everything. You've heard that hymn before. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Have you done that? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ by repenting of your sin and asking him to save you? That's primary. And then after that, we begin to get the right perspective regarding our stuff in this world, realizing that we are simply stewards of what God has blessed us with. Well, I hope the message was a help to you today and uh, is something that you can use. We'll bring another message on stewardship next Sunday, and I hope you can tune in then. We sure do appreciate your listening. Uh, to the program, those who pray for us, and those who financially support us as well. You keep us on the air and help us to to put these podcasts out as well, and I want you to know that it is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to being with you again at our appointed time. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.